We'll be in Isaiah chapter 61 this morning. A little bit of background about Isaiah is that if you read through Isaiah, it's got two, the literary structure of Isaiah is just a little bit different than kind of the structure of other uh, books in the Bible. And I've often heard uh, people say, I can read through Isaiah, but I have no clue what is going on in Isaiah. I've heard that I've heard people say that many times and and the reason why is it goes back and forth between poetry and prose and then maybe just a little bit of narrative in there at times too and so Isaiah when when uh uh Isaiah is is uh, uh it's being recorded uh, uh they're just throwing all the literary stuff in there if you if you want just kind of a a mixture of of different styles Isaiah is the book to read um, Isaiah uh, is um, mainly about the uh, ministry of the prophet Isaiah. One thing about Isaiah is that uh, he, uh, he had kind of this interesting um, calling process. Um, oh, oh. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh, so how does he get purified? Coal. I don't know about you, but have you ever done grilling and kissed the coal? I, I've never done that. If you've done that, probably shouldn't have your face that close to the grill. But, but think about that. that. It's a purification thing that happened. I'm a man of unclean lips, and then he was purified in that process. And one thing that we find about Isaiah is that he was not always uh, considered to be the, the most popular in his message content. Um, he would have been a contemporary with uh, Jeremiah. Uh, he he uh, was someone who was from uh, the, the kingdom of Ju uh, Judah. So uh, by this point, uh, if, if we kind of look at the people of God... Uh, what we consider to be the tribes of Israel and the tribes of Judah. Remember, there's multiple tribes. And so the tribes of Israel and the tribes of Judah, the tribes of Israel at this point, uh, they had already been conquered for about 10 years. They, they had been assimilated to other cultures. And, and oftentimes when we, when we think about, now this may not be a popular saying but, uh, or, or stance, but a lot of times when we talk about uh, the people of God, the Israelites, we're actually talking about those in the kingdom of Judah. Isn't that interesting? Oftentimes the people of Judah. And, and one thing that he, he uh, does often is he, he is uh, giving both uh, criticism to them and this is how you have lived and this is what, what you need to, to turn to. This is the prophecy. This is, the, this is all the bad stuff that's going to happen to you and this is, your, this is the stuff that, that is happening to you now because of this that you've done. But know that even after you've dealt with all this, this is what God has in store for you. And so it's a, it's a full scope book of, of God's power, God's love, and God's promise. And I think that the book of Isaiah really comes down to, uh, it's a prophecy to God's people in exile, and it's a promise and a reminder to God's people today. Isaiah, the name Isaiah, kind of encompasses the whole thought process 
behind the book of Isaiah and Scripture, the whole, the whole process of Scripture. Isaiah means God saves. Now, I was, I was uh, thinking this morning, I was going back through things, and I was thinking through this, and I got to thinking that, that we, have, we have Isaiah here, and, and I was like, he probably doesn't know that his name is a walking testimony. Every time he goes into a store and he says, hello, I'm Isaiah, what he's really doing is he's saying, hello, God saves. Isn't that something? That's supposed to be a private conversation, but y'all all got in on that. If you would stand with me this morning for the reading of the word. Isaiah 61, starting at verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of despair, a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And Lord, I pray that You would give me an anointing and the words to say this morning. When it's time to be quiet, You let me be quiet. In Your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're kind of going to go kind of section by section this morning. And I want you to know that this may be the shortest sermon that I preach all year. Miss Cormay's giving me a look. She's like, uh, probably not. And, you know, when I think about this passage here, what I really think that this is telling us is this is talking about Jesus. I really do think that the passage talks about Jesus. And we can look at this and we can say, well, well who, who is he really talking about this? Is, it, is, he, is this his calling? Is this, uh, is this someone else's calling? I think what it is, is, is I believe that he's, he's talking about Jesus here. And, and uh, the, uh, one, one of the things that, that I think is that uh, when we talk about the, the Spirit of the Lord indwelling people, uh, in filling people, we say that the Spirit has infilled people. Um, the Spirit of God filled them up, and then, and, and then they weren't the same. But, but notice here, it says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Is on me. One of the things that we find in, in, in John is the word parakletos. Or, uh, it's a paraclete. And and one of the one of the things that, about that is that uh, that word means when Jesus says I'm going to send you another of the same, what what it means is that um, it, it means that that um, it's it's another of the same. That's what it means. It it's the Holy Spirit that's being sent, but it's it's not different. If that makes sense, it's not different. The Spirit of the God of God is on him. Uh, and, and I think here that when it talks about this, when we, when we look at those two passages and we say that, that if we look at, I'm sending you another of the same, and then the spirit of the sovereign Lord is 
on me. Think back to when Jesus was baptized. What happened? The Spirit of God rested upon him. The dove. In Scripture, we always see doves as being a, a symbol of the, the Spirit of God. The, the Spirit rests upon him. And, and I think here that, that what Isaiah is trying to do is you've had all this happen to you. You're in exile, but know that there's someone who is coming that is going to have the Spirit of God on him that's not going to, that, that, that basically is going to be the presence of God himself in here in, in per, uh, uh, and then he's going to give you an anoint, there's going to be an anointing. Uh, there he's anointed. We know that Jesus was anointed, and and what I I think that when we look at the the phrase anointed, uh, it really means uh, sent forth in power, and sent forth with purpose. So we know that Jesus had power. Uh, he has the power to save. Uh, all authority under heaven and earth have been given to me, is what Jesus has said. And then, and then uh, so, so there we have power, we have authority, we have power. Uh, we know that he calmed the storms. He had the power of creation. How, how do you calm storms? Why, why would creation obey him if he was not part of creation to begin with? They're at the beginning of creation. The Creator. There's a there's a section in Genesis that says, "And we saw that it was good." I I think that when Jesus he speaks into uh, there, there's anointing there for power. He spoke over creation. Uh, creation had to obey because he was he was part of that. He he's got power to do that. He was sent forth in purpose. He knew what his purpose was. He knew uh, why he, he, he came. He knew that he was the sacrifice. He, and and uh, uh, he knew that, that uh, his purpose was so that, that people could have a relationship with him once again. And, and, I, and then we go on to proclaim the good news. It's kind of a, a list here that, that, he, that he goes through. Proclaim the good news to the poor. And, and we would think, today we would think, okay, well, the poor, they would be someone who doesn't have money. That would be poor. And, and in today's age, we could say, hey, that's probably all of us at some point. The Thursday before Friday payday, everybody's poor. Uh, and but but poor here kind of goes a little bit a little bit deeper. It's almost desolate. Uh, he's proclaiming good news to those that that would have no hope. That that they're an outcast in society. They're lonely. They're uh, they're needy. Uh, they're not having their needs met. Uh, they're they're uh, they're basically living on the street. They're having to rely on other people. Uh, they're gleaning from other people's. When they harvest the farm, whatever's left on the ground, that's what they're getting. And, and, and uh, the outcasts, those that are looked down upon. Uh, and, and so the good news for the, to the poor is this, is that, is that in the kingdom of God, everybody is on an even playing field. Everybody is on an even playing field. That, that uh, no, there is no classism in heaven because 
Jesus saves everyone, rich and poor, black and white, tan, everything in between, male, female, Jew, Gentile. He proclaims good news to the poor. And, and I think the poor in spirit as well. If you think about those that are poor in spirit, it's those that, that would have um, depression. Poor in spirit. And, and the good news is this, is that, is that he comes in, he says, he says, I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I will walk with you through this. Another thing, the next one, it says that he binds up the brokenhearted. Uh, and, and one thing that we found over and over again is that if you're going through something in life and you're just, you're broken and, and you just feel like you're broken and, 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 and you don't know how to put the pieces back together, that Jesus is the one who, who will put the pieces back together. We're, we're, we're told that, that, um, um, What's that? What's that old song? Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was broken and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. Jesus picks up the pieces and he makes a masterpiece out of it. Ephesians says that that we are his masterpiece. I think that that uh, he binds up the brokenhearted uh, if he restores our joy. He proclaims freedom for the captives. We were captives to sin. And Jesus sets us free. He sets us free from the penalty, the power, and the pollution of sin. He releases us from darkness. That's Jesus. John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Jesus, the light of the world. He's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is that? Well, you know, Jesus is coming again. And I really believe that, that when we talk about the year of the Lord's favor today, I think that means that Jesus is coming again. He's proclaimed it already. Where I go, you cannot come. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. The year of the Lord's favor. He's coming again. The, the day of, of vengeance of our God. I think that's judgment day. That's the day that, that, that uh, justice will be proclaimed upon the earth. And the living and the dead will be judged. He comforts those that mourn. He comforts those that mourn. Uh, we kind of see a different uh, kind of some contrast here. He gives a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Here's the thing with mourning in Scripture. They would rip their clothes. They would rip their clothes. They would smear ashes on their face. He gives them a crown of beauty instead of being smeared with ashes. Uh, he, uh, 
he uh, gives them oil of joy instead of oil of mourning. Well, what would happen with oil of mourning? Well, the ashes would be mixed with the oil, and that's part of that. But also, they would have oil poured upon them. It was, it was, it was a, a kind of a, a. I don't know where that thought went. Otherwise, they had oil poured upon them in the mourning process. But it's no longer oil of mourning. It's going to be the oil of joy. He gives us praise instead of a spirit of despair. I don't know how many times he's told me, he said, he says, you got an attitude problem. <laughs> is, there, is there anybody that's like that? Anybody else feel that way sometimes? He gives us a spirit of praise instead of a, a spirit of despair. And then it says, um, oaks of righteousness, they don't move. He's the oak of righteousness. He's immovable. Planting of the Lord for the display of His glory. The glory of God is revealed through Jesus. The plan of God is revealed through Jesus. Hope is through Jesus. And when we say that he's like oaks of righteousness, that means that he's immovable. He, he, he's firm. He's planted. He doesn't, he's, he's immovable. He's unshakable. He's unstoppable. He's worthy. He's Savior. He's Redeemer. He's hope. And he's salvation. And for the Israelites, it comes down to this, that Jesus is the promise fulfilled He's the Savior. He's the one who's going to bring about salvation, not only for people that are in exile, but He's the one who's going to restore this relationship so that people can have a relationship with God once again.